0: lots of things are better together hockey food golf how about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day but if you really want to take things to the next level drink some labat blue lights with your friends and live life to the power of we always enjoy responsibly beer labat usa buffalo new york
1: great to be with us here on the gm shuffle hope you all had a wonderful christmas uh, lots of great football to discuss. In fact, because we have the triple header football action on Saturday, and then, of course, the games on Sunday. The Seahawks, they shut down the Rams. Jared Goff, is he more pretender than contender? The Steelers finally right the ship. The Jets are on a winning streak. What the hell is going on with the world? Only in 2020, right? But we begin with the Dolphins stunning the Raiders. I mean, this was the game of the weekend. I thankfully I was able to watch it. I hope all of you were as well. And on a Saturday night, you say, okay, let's see what's happening here with Miami and the Raiders. Wasn't a great game until the fourth quarter. and Then it was marvelous action back and forth to a tongue of Iowa. Wasn't able to do anything. So in comes Fitz Magic. That's right. Right. Ryan Fitzpatrick comes in the game, gives them an immediate jolt, went 9-13 for 82 yards and a touchdown. Derek Carr was not to be denied. He went for three thirty-six 36 in a score. He was going deep, 85 yards. Nelson Aguilar, back and forth we go until ultimately Miami wins it. Fitzpatrick on a desperation heave to Mac Collins, but a critical face mask penalty means they get a field goal from 44 yards out. We're not going to focus on that, though, Mike. The key was John Gruden. I can't tell you how many messages I got from people saying, hey, I cannot wait till Lombardi goes off on Gruden. John Gruden chose to run down the clock for a go-ahead field goal instead of trying for a touchdown. Josh Jacobs going down on purpose at the one-yard line. Derek Carr takes a knee. They set up Daniel Carson's 22-yard field goal with 19 seconds left. Before I get Mike's thoughts, here is John Gruden, whether he regretted running out the clock instead of going for the score down they could have, they probably would have only yeah you know there's, look there's a lot of ways to I'm not going to interrupt anybody but I'm sorry but there's a lot of ways to look at this but 19 seconds left uh, on your own 25 yard line with no timeouts I've called plays a long time the probability of getting that done is is remote and uh, there's no guarantee if if they get the ball that they don't go for two I'm not going to get into all the scenarios
2: we played it exactly like we wanted to play it it was a heck of a job by our offense, closing uh, the deal, I thought. But uh, unfortunately, they made a desperation play, and the penalty was was horrific. This was an easy second guess, Mike. What do you think? Well, you know, I think this. Uh, I think that, you know, he's right in what he said, that it's the probability is hard. But he also has to understand his defense, right? So the week before against uh, the Los Angeles Chargers, he gets burnt on a down-the-field throw and loses that game. So he's witnessed it right there on the field. And then I think you've got to play, there's a there's a lot of variables in this situation, right? So Jason Sanders, so far this season, is 8 of 9 on 50-plus yard kicks at 56 yards. So, you know, even though there's only 19 seconds left on the clock, you know, one pass interference penalty— or one shitty defensive play, like the corner. I mean, they're playing cover two. The corner doesn't carry it. Mac Hollins is standing there wide open on the sideline, and he makes the play. And then, of course, Arden Key, uh, you know, gets the face mask, and Sanders kicks it. And you know, next thing you know, you lose the game. So, I think to me, every situation, and this is where I think analytics has has a little bit of an issue, because yes, the analytics say do this, but who's on the other sideline matters more. And Jason Sanders being 8 for 9 on kicks after 50 yards shows you they've got a weapon over there. And at 19 seconds, 6 in a 19, you know, with no time left, you know, you're at least going to get three plays. Maybe you get four plays and there's and with the as shitty as they are on defense and he's witnessed it just a week before he witnessed it right he drove it all the way down the field you know decided to go for the field goal against the chargers and then they watched it all the way back and scored a touchdown on like two plays so he's it's like he's witnessed it the bigger issue here though AD is is john is just you know gruden is is just not He's not in tune to the game. I mean, nobody's in his ear telling him. Nobody's going to tell him what to do. You could just hear by the way he answered that question. He doesn't want anybody telling him what to do or, or what the viability is on the other sideline. You know, and when you look over his career, I mean, when you look over the last six years, he's 40 and 55 as a head coach. He's 15 games below 500. And the problem is, is it because he's a bad coach? No, he's a really good offensive coach. The problem is he's, he, he needs help as a head coach. Everything he does is about the offense. It's always about the offense. So when you go out to practice and they're going to practice, the defense never is going to get better because he's scripted everything to make the offense successful. Because he sees the game as the head coach. So instead of saying to the defense, look, I want you guys to do this, this, and this, he's like telling the defense, I want five cover threes, I want five cover twos, I want five uh, cover mans, one, one, one robber. You know, And so that's what you end up getting. And because of that, he can't understand why his teams don't get better. I mean, he doesn't under he he doesn't see it. You know, when he's won the Super Bowl, when he went down to Tampa with a team that was really good on defense, that understood how to practice with Monty Kiffin, so there was no way he was going to change how they practiced. There was no way he was going to do that. But then when they started to move away from that team and they had to change the defense, then all of a sudden they changed how they practiced. And now, you know, since the Super Bowl, I think he's 73 and 80 since he's won a Super Bowl. He's seven games below 500. You know and, and as a head coach in the NFL it, it just if you take all the first stint at the Raiders and the second stint I mean if you just really understand what he does and how he how he does it I mean John's a really good offensive coach. I don't have any grudge with John. But I think when you look at his career he's one these had 113 wins 110 losses. I mean, but he refuses to be a head coach. And part of his issue is his GM, you know, he Mayox the gm in title but not in power that team on defense is the team he built that's his team and he fires gunther for it so for me it's just like look you got to weigh all the variables their they're, the their team is in the variables but i think the bigger issue here is besides clock management is you know ad you're not allowed to say anything bad about tua we're now eight weeks, nine weeks of the season. And if I catch you saying a bad word about Tua, you're going to be on double secret probation. You're not allowed to say a bad word about Tua. Right, but Before, I get, before
1: I get thrown in prison by the Tua police, can I just point out, he threw for 94 yards, Mike. Like That is abysmal. You're supposed to be the big superstar of the league. 17-22 to 22 for 94 yards and a touchdown against a defense which we just discussed fired their defensive coordinator it is obviously an upheaval. You have to rely on Ryan
2: Fitzpatrick to save the day. But go ahead. We don't we don't, to, we don't want to upset people who love tua. Go ahead. Here's what I think happens. There's there's a perception created by the media. Whether it's Tim Tebow, whether it's Tua, there's just certain things that happen in the media that no matter how screwed up they are, it happens in politics too, right? You know, that it, it no matter how screwed up things are, the narrative doesn't change. I mean, just listen to the broadcast on Sunday. I mean, just listen to the broadcast on Saturday night. I mean, Tua's out there and and there's just no way he can throw the ball. He's made three plays this whole season and in, in his nine starts or eight starts and one finish uh, of over 25 yards, just three. He doesn't throw the ball down the field. He averages 6.26. When Kurt Warner said that after studying the tape, he saw that Tua throws the ball down the field more than, than Fitzpatrick, I, I, I almost lost my mind. I'm like, at some point, look, Kurt's a great player. And 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 I know Kurt's such a nice guy. He doesn't want to criticize the player on the field. But we as fans are cheated, and the narrative is not going to change until somebody says Tua doesn't throw the ball down the field. Now we know this for fact. We know this for fact. Anybody, anyone, including Bella. If she watch, if Bella, my dog, watches. Herbert play and Tua play, they would say pick Herbert first. So we already know Miami's Miami's stuck on that one. Now they're trying to manufacture, can he become an actual serviceable player? And the longer you watch him and the longer you study him on tape and you see what he's incapable of doing, especially against people that know how to defend him. I mean, the what, what was missing in the equation on Saturday night was Nobody said how shitty the Raiders' defense are is. Like, every quarterback looks good against the Raiders' defense. Except, to me, that was the biggest indictment. Tua couldn't even look good against the Raiders' defense. And so, like, he averaged 4.27 yards per attempt. His best game of his career was when he played against Arizona. He averaged 8.86. I mean, he's at 6.26. He doesn't make any plays down the field. And the last three weeks, the last three weeks... He has been sacked nine times because he doesn't have elite quickness or elite power to get out of the way. I don't have, I'm not against Tua. I'm just trying to be objective and grade what you see. That's the biggest problem with television announcers. They don't tell you what they see. They tell you what they think you want to hear. And like, just tell us the truth. Every Miami Dolphin fan's nervous about how good Tua can be. But the shine of Alabama is off of him now. He doesn't have number one receivers around him. He doesn't have a pocket that's pristine clean. He's got to play in the league. And it's going to be hard for him. He's undersized. He plays small. And and Flores has got balls to make the move, but he also is trying to protect his franchise. It's tough.
1: Yeah, that's why I wonder what's going to happen here with Flores because you're right. He does have the balls to be like, you know what? This guy's not getting it done. We got to win games. You're trying to make the playoffs. Go put Fitzpatrick in. But he also has to know the future of his franchise does not rest with Ryan Fitzpatrick. It rests with Tua Tagovailoa at the quarterback position. So the question is this. Week 17, the Dolphins are now 10-5, and 5, seemingly in the driver's seat to make the playoff spot. Who do you think starts at quarterback? Does he start with Fitzpatrick and go, okay, enough with this nonsense? Or once again, is it start with Tua and he's on a relatively
2: shorter leash? I think he starts with Tua, feels like Tua will protect the football, you know, keep him on a short leash, see what his defense can do, see if his defense can create some turnovers, you know, and see what what happens, where Buffalo's ambition is. I mean, this might be a game, if Buffalo wins tonight, we're taping this Monday morning, if Buffalo wins tonight, then are they the number two seed locked in? And does that mean they would play Miami as the seventh seed, or do they play Cleveland as the seventh seed? Like, you got to figure out what Buffalo's motivation is. If they're locked in at two, they beat Pittsburgh, right? So even if they finish with the same record, you know, they're going to have the two seed. Then they're going to decide who they want to play, right? They may just let Miami win the game, and Miami gets the five seed, and then they could take their chances playing Cleveland. I don't know how they're going to do it, but I mean, that's some, that's a conversation that's going to go on in the building, right? It isn't like, oh, we're just going to play whoever we want. Like, like seriously, do we want to rest the guys? We can't improve on the two seeds. So let's just rest the guys we want to rest. And if that's the case, then Miami goes up there against, you know, Matt Barkley and they win the game fairly easily. So I think that's the conversation that has to happen. That's why this week betting is going to be challenging because there's some teams that have already packed their shit and they're headed out of town and they don't really care. And then there's some teams that are playing for something. No question about it. But I, th- I think the bigger issue here, AD, is this. That the Dolphins are going to have a top-five pick. They're going to have a top-five pick. And at the end of the season, they have to be honest with themselves and say, do we think this kid, as much as we love him, do we think this kid is the quarterback of our future? Do we Do we think that Tua, in 2023, will be a Pro Bowl top-10 quarterback? What they have to do is grade every quarterback in the draft as he relates to Tua, Mac Jones, Mac Jones, uh, you know, Kyle Trask, uh, all the all the other guys in the, all the other guys that are coming out. You know, you got to evaluate them based on. You now, you're obviously not going to get Trevor Lawrence, but you got to base everyone there. But here's what really here's a couple things, and I want you to answer this: Who would you rather have, Gardner Minshew or Tua as a rookie? I know I take Gardner
1: Minshew because you know what? At least he was able to do some things. Like, I don't think he's a long-term answer as my quarterback, but you and I both got caught up in a little bit of Minshew mania last year. At least he was exciting. At least he gave his team a spark. With Tua, I feel like he's just constantly like a rudderless ship. Like, it's like it's like a picture of a truck literally being stuck in mud. That's what Tua is right now. For a guy with so much acclaim, he doesn't be able to do anything. Whereas Minshew, it was like, okay, not sure what we're getting. Oh, he actually exceeded expectations in some ways. Even though, again, I don't think he's a star for years. Whereas Tua has clearly
2: been a disappointment. He's been underwhelming. No doubt. And the fact that you answered it, that it wasn't automatic, that's all you need to know. Now, here's the other one. Here's what's been noodling in my brain is, you know, Jalen Hurts got benched at halftime of the Georgia game because he couldn't throw the ball. And Tua came in and led them back and threw the ball. Now, both of them are rookies in the league. And I would say... And so I don't want to hear this shit, well, you know, Tua's a young player. He doesn't really know what to do. Hurt's a young player too. Like, there's no comparison between Hurt and Tua. There's no comparison. I mean, Hurt's is playing at a much higher level, and it makes me wonder, like, why did Alabama bench Hurt for Tua? Like, now it's not even obvious. Like, it was obvious. I thought that Hurt couldn't throw the ball. I thought his timing was poor, you know, and that's why they had to take him off. He was more runner than he was quarterback. But watching him play for Philly, he's playing at a higher level as a rookie. Herbert is playing at a much higher level than Tua. Burrow was playing at a much higher level than Tua. All rookies. Gardner Minshew played at a higher level as a rookie. Like, at some point, when do we get off this narrative? Well, he's a young player. Like we, why do we, when are we going to get off that narrative? Like grade what you see. Like and you could say to me, look, he's young, he's going to grow. I got it. I'm with you. Okay, great. Just tell when I when you when you tell me that tell me what he does elitely with the football. He doesn't have an elite arm. He doesn't have elite quickness. He doesn't have elite size. Okay? Okay, yeah, he has they said it on the broadcast. He has it. Like what the fuck is it? I want to know what it is. Is it that thing on, on the Adams family that used to come out of the thing, Cousin It, or whatever the fuck it was? Like, what is it? Like, what is it? I want to know what the fuck it is. Like, what is it? he has it? I used to hear scouts say, he's got it. Like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. Like, tell me. So if you want me to be patient with Tua, I'm more than happy to be patient with him. But tell me what he does elitely. Tell me what he has above seven, the seventh grade where he is. You can't. You can't answer that. And the fact that it takes you, you you're, you gave me the Minshew answer. The fact that I can't justify Hurts playing as well as he's playing for Philly, who they drafted the second, and this kid can't even really, they got to pull him out of the game. And he's, remember, we tank for Tua. We tank for Tua. Seriously, it's a PR campaign. It's a PR campaign. And it just got snowballed and nobody had the balls to say timeout. There's nothing this guy does to lead.
1: It's amazing. I remember being at that game, that national championship you were talking about with Tua, when they got put in the game, the buzz, it was like, oh my God, wow, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, he leads to a victory, Saban's a genius. That was like the high of Tua. That was where like the, the stock was never higher on Tua. And now you're right. It, it's a much different feeling when you're looking at his career, despite the fact what so many people are saying about him and uh, still defending him and supporting him. Here's a guy I want to get into. Jared Goff, because I feel like if you defend him, you're on the wrong path. When it comes to Jared Goff, I say contender or pretender. The Seahawks... And their defense, they stifled the Rams, and they get the victory. Big for Russell Wilson and company. They win 20-9. to Now, the Seahawks' defense has certainly gotten better, immeasurably better since Week 11. I believe they're second or third in points against since Week 11. Jamal Adams, Bobby Wagner, they've really tightened things up. So they had their best effort of the season against the Rams' offense. And, yes, I agree. The Seahawks' defense, better than what we saw for much of this year. Again, Russ was fine. A couple touchdowns, 225. But Jared Goff, Mike, this guy... 23 of 42 for 224. In a critical game, showdown game for the defense, he doesn't show up again. A baffling first-half interception. That cost L.A. points. Take a listen to Sean McVay. McVay's a great coach. He's putting it on himself, though.
2: My job is to put these guys in better spots, and I don't think I've consistently done a good enough job with that, Lindsey. Uh, ultimately, you get into those rhythms when you get some drive. You, know, you sustain drives, you're efficient on those early downs, and you can kind of get into a rhythm. I did think we were... Fairly efficient on the third downs early on in the game, but we kind of just petered out in that, you know, that fringe area before we could even get into the red zone on the couple drives that we had to settle for a field goal. But, you know, we're all in it together. We've got to be able to produce, but but I do expect to put our guys in better spots. And, and you know, for the last couple of weeks, I have not done a good enough job of that.
1: Okay, that's nice for him to blame himself, but ultimately, Mike, Jared Goff, he's more pretender than contender, and now he's got a thumb injury. Maybe people will use that excuse. Oh, he wasn't 100%. Bottom line is this. He may not even play next week because of his thumb injury, and once again, if you want to buy the Rams, you have to buy that Goff is an
2: elite quarterback, and I can't buy that. I've never bought that. I was on the Rich Eisen show his second season before McVay went out there, and Eisen asked me... Uh, about him and I, and I said I just don't think he's an NFL player and I was really down on him and hard on him and of course that year he was sensational and, and I must have had four billion people on Twitter just sticking up my ass you know and I kept saying look you know it's not it's not golf it's McVeigh it's a play action pass you know and and when he and he's throwing to wide open guys i.e. By Baker Mayfield I mean we'll get to him later but the reality of it is, is sometimes you have to, as a scout, fans can't be expected to do this, but as a football person who studies the game, you've got to be able to separate scheme from, from, from talent. You've got to be able to say, that's really scheme related, that's talent related. I can remember when Brandon Marshall had 23 catches in a game, you know, and everybody was going crazy. Well, you know, how many of those catches did Josh McDaniels get him and how many did he get himself? Like, was the scheme related to these? You know, it's like when, when a guy catches an out route against cover three and and the announcer goes all Dicky Vitale on you. Oh, my God, it's unbelievable. This guy's a star. You know, like, seriously, that that throws there by the scheme, you know? And so Goff, to me, has always been a scheme player. And I've maintained this all along is I think Sean McVay's a great coach, but I think he's working with the, with his one arm tied behind his back because he's got a guy who's not mentally tough who gets hit, and when the play breaks down, his mental toughness shows up. I mean, that interception was a disaster, right? And once he starts getting hit, I mean, he's truly, I mean, he's got some Jim Everett tendencies in him. I mean, once he gets hit, it ain't good. Goes Super Bowl, big games. I mean, think about it now, and I've said this all during his career, okay? And I don't give a shit what anybody says, Unless the Rams can play in that beautiful Sofell Stadium f- for all playoff games, if they have to go to Green Bay, cold. If they have to go to Chicago, cold. Or Philadelphia, cold. Or you know maybe not Dallas. I mean, this guy's played five games in his NFL career below 40 degrees, and he averages under 50% completions. He's thrown five touchdowns. He's thrown seven interceptions. He averages 5.86. Like, he's no chance is he going to play good outdoors. No fucking chance. Like, zero. When he has to play a game in January, he's played four January games, he's averaged 6.48 yards per attempt and 57% completions. Like just seriously, the more pressure you put on him, his December games and his career, he's played 22 December games. Now this as betters, you know, you guys got to think about this. And and I was wrong. I had him on, I had one of my picks on Sunday, the Rams. I should have looked at these numbers. Rams 20 he's played 22 games in December. He averages 61% completions, 6.61, 33 touchdown passes, 21 interceptions. The longer the season goes and people get a read on what McVay is doing, the harder it becomes on Goff. That's fact. Like I think the guy and I would love to see this. The guy who prints out the check for Jared Goff's weekly pay at 35 fucking million a year, he's got to throw up after he writes it. He's got to just get the bucket of trash and puke into a bucket to know he's paying this guy this much money when you still need a quarterback to win a championship. Like, it's just ridiculous why they paid him. Because here's the problem with the NFL. They, the alternative, they say, you can't have it. Like, it, when you saw Goff the second year and you knew, you knew he wasn't great. You knew it. You knew McVay was making him great. At that point, you say, we're drafting someone else. We're not saying he's going to start, but we're going to get somebody else in here and let this great coach coach this guy and go from there. That's how you build championship organizations. Not by saying, okay, well, we can't get anybody better than golf. We'll just take them. Look at the numbers. Like, look at the numbers in December. Look at the numbers in January. I mean, think about this as much as go back and put him in the cold weather in Chicago. See how that's going to work out for him. Hey, put him up on that field last night against Green Bay. You think he's going to play good in that element? no chance so McVeigh takes always takes the heat that's always what he's done at some point he's gonna have to look at, at look at himself and say this ain't on me kid this is on you and I think the smart Rams fans,
1: <clears throat> excuse me, actually know that. I know that Goff is not the answer. They're not going to be a truly championship, Super Bowl winning team as long as Goff is there. And like I said, thumb injury—he may not even play in Week 17. That remains to be seen. A team that finally showed up, finally showed us something—the Pittsburgh Steelers—they rally past the Colts. They win their first division title since 2017. They guarantee at least one home playoff game. Roethlisberger, 38—he's looked old. He finally snap out of it, like Share said in the movie Moonstruck 34 of 49 for 342 yards this team is not going to run the football they got to throw it down the field and they finally were able to do that and connect with his receivers Philip Rivers meantime he goes 22 of 35 for 270 touchdown and a pick Taylor disappeared over the final two quarters take a listen first to Mike Tomlin on the halftime adjustments his team made for the rally
0: we missed on some on, on some opportunities in the first half I don't know if it was that dramatic it's a fine line between you know drinking wine and squashing grapes as we say in this business and sometimes it's very subtle and so um we didn't change drastically in terms of our approach in terms of what we were doing Uh, we just acknowledged that we had some opportunities we didn't make and we needed to make more plays in the second half in all three phases and that's the mentality that we took the field with
1: so good news for the Steelers, but Mike, for the Colts, I mean, this is brutal. They, they couldn't have clinched a playoff berth of a win anyways because Miami and Baltimore both won, but now they are on the outside looking in. For the Colts to make the playoffs, they got to beat Jacksonville next week while Miami, who is at Buffalo, Cleveland versus Pittsburgh, or Baltimore at Cincinnati has to lose. And in a game, I'm watching the pregame show, Terry Bradshaw put it on Phillip Rivers. He said he has to step up today. He's got to beat the Steelers. Otherwise, he's going to be a one and done. Well, Rivers did not step up. Indianapolis, you know, a couple of moments, they had two chances to reclaim the lead. First time, Rivers threw a pick. The second time, he went to Zach Pascal, went high on fourth down. Rivers looked old, not Roethlisberger. This was a surprise in some ways.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, uh, you know, one thing about Tennessee, one thing about Indianapolis is when you really break them down, and, and this has been going on since week 12 of the season, their defense, I mean, against Tennessee, they gave up 45. You know They come back, they beat Houston, but Houston has the ball on the one-yard line going in, they fumble, right? They gave up 20 points, I think, in that Houston game in the first half. They come back and they play Vegas. They beat Vegas. They just outscore Vegas. I mean, they just literally outscored Vegas. And then they play Houston again. Houston turns it over again inside the five. And then they give up 28 to Pittsburgh who Pittsburgh going into the game, the last four games of the season, Pittsburgh would have been averaging 13 points. I mean, at some point, you know, yeah, I don't think Rivers is very good. I've said this all year. I think he's going to have trouble making plays when he needs to make a play in the passing game. Now, in fairness to Indianapolis, both their starting tackles were out. So they were playing guys. One guy was off the practice squad, another guy. I mean, that was a challenge. But they had control of the game. But they're never good enough on defense to get control of the game. And the way they play defense is just hard. They can't play. They're like the baseball pitcher on defense that just throws ninety mile an hour fastballs until they change the, the. They diversify their defensive portfolio, you know, and that's really what Sean McVay wanted to do, and why he got rid of Wade Phillips. Not because he thought Wade was a bad coach, but because he wanted to diversify his portfolio on defense. He wanted somebody who would be. zone, 33% man, 33% zone dogs. Somebody who could combine those three worlds together so that you really could never, you could get good at all three, but you were never predictable in any one area. And the, and the Colts are too predictable. And so Big Ben, once they could, got control of the rush, Ben was able to make some plays down the field. Now, I thought there was some horrible pass interference calls in the game, but that goes without saying. I mean, it just happens. But at the end of the day, when you don't score any points in the fourth quarter, how many times have we talked about this here? When you don't score any points in the fourth quarter, you get 24 points, you go into the fourth quarter. You know you're saying to yourself, look, we got to get to 31 to win the game. We got to get to 34 to win the game. You know, we got to at least get to 30 to win. Whatever the number is in your head as a coach, an executive, you're saying that all the time. Like, unless we get to 30, like while well, I was watching Carolina, my son played the foot- Washington football team, you know, and and they scored, it was 20 to three at the half. And I kept saying to Millie, we got to get to 27. We get to 27 games over. We get to 27 games over. Now we only never got there, but the game was over. But sometimes that happens. But as, as watching a game, you're always thinking, what number do I have to get to to win the game? If I get here, they can't beat us. Cause you're, you're thinking possessions, time, all those in your head. And I think that's where the Colts were. And then Rivers, as Terry said, Rivers didn't deliver in the fourth quarter. Throws the bad interception. You know, he gets a guy pushed in his face and throws it high. You know, they got bailed out fourth and six. They called Nelson for a, a, a defensive hold call, which was as bad as the one they were calling on the Colts. So I guess it washes out. But now the Colts are on the outside looking in. They're going to have to figure out their quarterback situation, and they're going to have to have an honest discussion—a truly honest discussion—with with, with Ibraflus, who's a good coach, but he's a, but he's a one-pitch fastball guy, and he got to change that because you're just not going to be good enough to beat you know this whole Rod Marinelli scheme, this concept of playing Tampa, playing up the field. Like I'm just saying, it, it ain't good enough anymore. Let's do one more
1: game before we'll take a quick break and that is the Cleveland Browns. Baker Mayfield couldn't even get one touchdown pass against the Jets. The suddenly resurgent Jets. They clinched the second overall pick in the draft and they're on a winning streak. Sam Donald only completed 50% of his passes, but it was enough for the win. Now you say the Browns, they had seven guys missing because of COVID-19, including Jarvis Landry and three other wide receivers. It was so bad that Kevin Stefanski, the head coach, ran a walkthrough in a parking lot near the team's hotel to get some of the new players to speak up on the game plan. Before we dive into the Browns, here's Stefanski on whether or not play with unfamiliar receivers is why Mayfield couldn't connect. And he'll agree with what I'm telling you guys is that we had all the players we needed. We had, we had plenty of active. Uh, we
0: trust the guys that were playing today. We trust them. That's why they're Cleveland Browns. So that's really not the story here. We just uh, didn't do enough... Better way of putting it. We did too many things that that, uh, that a losing team does, and that's what we—that's uh, what you get
1: when you do that. I like Stefanski being honest. Apparently, the story was, Mike, the Jarvis Landry and those receivers, why were they all taken out? They're all in a hot tub together. Four guys in the hot tub together. Hot tub time machine. And that's why they broke protocol once one of the guys tested positive. That means they have no receivers. The Browns haven't made the playoffs since 2002.
2: They could have been in and out because a hot tub time machine. They got to wait another week. Horrible. Man, that's just, I mean, that's so bad, right? And and I think that, you know, Safansky, a great respect for him. I think what he's done this year is certainly worthy of coach of the year. But I think the real issue, and it, once again, there's always a narrative about games that's wrong. It's, it's just fucking wrong. Like, there's narratives about games, you know, and it's because we missed four receivers. No, the reason you lost the game is because the Jets made you play outside your comfort zone. You ran the ball 18 times in the game for 45 yards, right? Nick Chubb had 11 carries for 28 yards. Kareem Hunt had four for 11. Baker ran the ball three times. So basically, your two your two best players on the team had 15 touches in the run game. And you put the ball in Baker Mayfield's hands 53 times to throw the ball. He fumbles twice. He fumbles three times. He loses twice. He loses two of them, right? Right. And so this is what you get. This is why all those people that want to fall in love with Baker, watch this tape. Because Baker is scheme is a scheme player. When he's in his scheme and he can run play action and he can throw the ball on boots and rolls, really nice player, really good player. Is he worth $35 million? Absolutely not. Is he worth 25? You might have to pay him 25 because you're not going to be able to find somebody. But once you start paying him a lot of money and he takes away other players around him, you're going to hurt your team. But this is the classic example of this. Once you make him play outside his scheme, outside his comfort zone, you're going to get this. Can't see in the pocket, can't make throws, and give the Jets credit. Jets come in there, they run it 34 times, they average almost four yards a carry, Sam Darnold doesn't turn the ball over again, does a great job managing the team, you know, they make enough plays, I mean, they play perfect, I mean, think about it, I mean, the the Jets are a two-win team, they should be a three-win, they should be a four-win team, I mean, you know, they had, they should have beaten Denver, but they got that idiot coaching defense for them, so, you know, I mean, he destroys the team half the time, they should have fired him before the season started, and they probably would have won more games, but the reality of it is, is this is a perfect example. This isn't just, this isn't because of we didn't have receivers. And I think Stefanski's dead on right here. Like this is because we, they made us play outside our comfort zone. Like this will be the tape teams watch that play the Jets. If the Browns get to the playoffs, this will be, this will be the tape. The, the, and if you play from in front on Cleveland, just like if you play from in front on Tennessee, You're going to, you're going to, they're going to have a hard time playing, catching up on you because they rely on play action pass. They rely on their offensive line, which is not great, to get by in play action pass. And so this is what they get.
1: Stefanski already was my uh, pick for coach of the year. And I like him even more now because he was honest and did not blame the fact that they had receivers for the loss. After the break, speaking of getting upset, J.J. Watt just buries into his teammates. Dwayne Haskins stinks, and the Cowboys knock out the Eagles. Don't go anywhere.
0: All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do, go check out the PXG Black Ops Driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle. Code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment. pxg.com slash gmshuffle. Code GM Shuffle.
1: So the Bengals, they knock off the Texans 37-31, their first road win since 2018. Deshaun Watson throws for 324, three touchdowns. He's had a great year, but the Texans, they tie a season high with their fourth straight loss. I want us to get into J.J. Watt here. Take a listen to his comments. Now, this is a long clip, but a minute 40 in length. But you can hear his passion and emotion, and then I'll get Mike's thoughts on it. Here it is.
3: We're professional athletes getting paid a whole lot of money. If you can't come in and put work in in the building, go out to the practice field and work hard, do your lifts and do what you're supposed to do, you should not be here. This is a job. We're getting paid a whole lot of money. There are a lot of people that watch us and invest their time and their money into buying our jerseys and buying a whole bunch of shit. And they care about it. They care every single week. We're in week 16 and we're four and 11. And there's fans that watch this game that show up to the stadium that put in Time and energy and effort and care about this. So if you can't go out there and you can't work out, you can't show up on time, you can't practice, you can't want to go out there and win, you shouldn't be here because this is a privilege. It's the greatest job in the world. You get to go out and play a game. And if you can't care enough, even in week 17, even when you're trash, when you're four and 11, if you can't care enough to go out there and give everything you've got and try your hardest, that's bullshit. So that's how I just, I think it's that's. There are people every week that still tweet you, that still come up to you and say, Hey, we're still rooting for you, we're still behind you. They have no reason whatsoever to. We stink. But they care and they still want to win and they still want you to be great. That's why. Those people aren't getting paid. We're getting paid handsomely. That's why. And that's that's who I feel the most bad for is our fans and the people who care so deeply in this city and the people who love it and who truly want it to be great, and it's not. And that sucks as a player to know that we're not giving them what they deserve. JJ Watt, awfully passionate, Mike.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, it, you can just see it. I mean, basically what he was screaming about is accountability. Like, at some point, you got to have accountability. you got to be a pro. Like, you know, you got to act like a pro and be a pro. And, you know, they talk about culture in Houston. You know, they got rid of Hopkins to improve their culture. And this is what they got, you know? And so, um, you know, there's a lack of leadership, obviously. This is going to be a challenging job for the next guy that walks in there. Because he's going to have to reinforce, he's going to have to bring everybody together from a from a structural organizational way you know you've got a great quarterback but you got a lot of guys on this team that obviously don't take the path of least resistance and you're going to have to make some decisions and you're going to be stuck cap wise with some of the guys that you're going to have to send on their way so i mean you got to admire watt for being uh so uh honest and straightforward yeah they're not any good should should they let a quarterback you know come into their building and just dominate them i mean seriously i mean you know like like when you sit there and think about it i mean i i don't know if brandon allen could ever have a game like that hit 126 quarterback rating you know never got any pressure on Threw two touchdown passes he only threw eight incomplete passes the whole day and he threw eight incomplete passes and if that wasn't bad enough you gave up another 170 yards rushing i mean so you know football's a game about pad level desire toughness and when you don't show up and you do this, I feel bad for for uh for for Deshaun Watson because he can't control it. And this is what you get. Hats off to JJ for saying it. Somebody needs to say it, but the owner, the owner, needs to say it more. The owner needs to come out and say, okay, here's what I'm gonna do, and here's why I'm gonna do it.
1: And that's why you can understand why Watt is the guy who wants to make changes. At least they got a great quarterback in Watson. He's had a tremendous season. Other than that, though, he's right. The team stinks with four wins. Speaking of stinks, Dwayne Haskins, this guy spends a week. He's already had a horrendous season, okay? The the head coach does not want you there. He's benched you. Now, because of need and urgency, he has to play Dwayne Haskins because Alex Smith is out. And meantime, Haskins... (laughs) Listen, he was with a bunch of strippers, okay? A a maskless party, bunch of strippers. I get it. Guys, you know, boys will be boys, whatever. But not this year. You can't do this. He was stripped of his captaincy, fined $40,000 for partying without a mask. After being with strippers, he gets stripped of the ball by Marquise Haynes in the first quarter, picked up by Tahir Whitehead and Trey Boston. And a game they had to step up, he didn't. And so Washington loses to Carolina 20-13. to 13. They blew their first chance to clinch the division. First and foremost, Ron
2: Rivera, on why he benched Haskins. He had no choice. Remember last week, we came out at halftime. We moved the ball and put ourselves in position to score. That's why I did what I did. Okay. Um, well, we, uh, we didn't get anything going. So uh, I decided to make the change.
0: That's why we made the change.
1: They were down fourteen early in the fourth quarter. Haskins is out, and they went to Taylor Heinicke. Yeah, exactly, my thought too. His first NFL action is 2018 in Carolina. This guy comes in, goes 12 and 19 for 137 in relief, and actually threw a touchdown pass. Haskins, Mike, there's no way he ever plays for Washington again, is there? They gotta get Alex
2: Smith back for the final game against the Eagles. I mean, Jackie Jr. Uh, is really Haskins, right? I call him Dwayne Jackie Jr. Haskins. I mean, because. <laughs> You know, he thinks he's entitled he, because he went to Ohio State because the owners loves him. Like, seriously, like, how don't you cut Haskins this week? Like, ser- why don't you just cut him? Like, I don't care if Alex Smith can play or not. Like, you know, I learned this from Belichick. At some point, when you know something, you got to do it. Like, to put him out there, I would have started, you know what I would have started Taylor Hankey in this game? Because I would have that would have sent the message to the team, I'm not tolerant. Like, if you thought for one minute, if you thought for one minute Haskins gave you a better chance to win, you're crazy. There's no way. He was the best thing Carolina had going for him. And it proved out to be the case. Turned the ball over, you know, they 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 they, they did what they had to do. They made plays. They didn't really make any plays on 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 with their offense. They moved the ball a little bit, but they didn't, but Matt Rule went into the game knowing that as long as we don't screw this up, we can win the game because they'll screw it up. Because they got Haskins and we don't. I would have played Hankey. Uh, how do you say hanky or whatever the hell his name is? I would have played him, and I would have ran the ball. I would have just kept played him, and I would have just play defense, field control, you know, and just not lose the game, just not lose the game. But you know, when you when your special teams guys drops a punt, you know, and all the all everything else falls apart for you, you know, this is what you get. Now they got to go play Philly. Who's can you imagine Philly's eliminated? We'll get to them in a minute. But but anyway, so. Like I would, I would either go, I would go to the game with Alex Smith and Hanky. And so why would I even keep Haskins on the team now? Like, let him go. Like send a message to your team saying, look, how, and, and the fact that he was captain, how is he even captain? Like you just gave him the captain job? Seriously. Like, what captain traits have you ever seen out of Dwayne Haskins?
1: Captain must go down with the ship is the only thing I can think of. But you're right. It's been a disaster. This just goes back to your point before, Mike, sunk cost fallacy. Because you draft Haskins so high, you keep hoping for something to happen because you feel like you've invested in it. But the investment's gone sour. It always has been. See ya. Hit the bricks, pal.
2: It's not working out. You got to let it go. You got to let it go. And you got to send a message to your team like, we're just not going to tolerate that. I mean, we know their culture there has been horrible. And Rivera has tried to get it back. But the longer you keep having this guy on the team, you know, I mean, just get him out of there. Like the only, the best thing you can do for Haskins' career, for Jackie Jr.'s career, is to cut him because then he's going to be unemployed. And then he's going to realize that probably, probably 29 other teams want nothing to do with him. So maybe there's one team that would take a chance on him. Maybe, maybe. And that's going to be a cold reality for a young man. He's going to sit there and have to live off of the one contract. Like, cut him. You're doing him a favor. You're not doing you a favor. You're doing him a favor because that'll send him a message that you either get your ass going because remember what Churchill said when the Germans were in the Channel Port and he became prime minister, fear does the work of reason. And until you put fear in a player that his career could be over, you're never going to reason with him. And how long have you been trying to reason with ja- with Jackie Jr.? Forever. Fear.
1: Yeah, it's like Bronx
2: Tale. We're still going to find out if Kay Adams saw it. Is it better to be feared or loved? I would say fear because fear lasts longer than love. She's been too busy shooting commercials. So, I mean, she's the face of good morning football. Well, she's got, I mean, I'm sure she's got uh, five other commercials to shoot before she watches Bronx Tale. <laughs>
1: Did see a lot over the last couple of weeks, NFL Network, promoting the fact that all those games were on NFL Network. Uh, One game that was on NFL Network, I was on Fox, and I watched it. The Eagles, once again, they had a great opportunity here. Washington lays an egg against Carolina because of Haskins. All the Eagles had to do is beat the Cowboys and beat Washington, and then probably they'd make the playoffs. They're up 14 to 3. I mean, Jalen Hurts goes deep to Deshaun Jackson. Go here we go. But then the offense stalled, and the defense was miserable. They lose Fletcher Cox, their best player. Six-time pro bowler. And then Andy Dalton looks like Troy Aikman. The guy was 22 of 30. He passed 300 yards for the first time since he replaced Dak Prescott five weeks into the season. He finally had a big game. He threw for 377, three touchdowns, and a pick. By the way, Hurts also threw for 342 and a touchdown. This is the most yards ever in an Eagles-Cowboys game. Much more than all those showdowns involving Aikman or cunningham McNabb. however. So Dallas is still alive. They can overtake Washington with a win at the Giants and a Washington loss to the Eagles. The Eagles are done. The Giants can get in by beating the Cowboys if Washington loses. We'll get into this game though. First off, Doug Peterson on the loss of Fletcher Cox.
2: Well, I think you know Fletcher obviously is a big, big part of the D line. Um, you know, and then we didn't have you know we didn't have Josh Sweat. We didn't have Derek Barnett either up there. And and uh, those are those are mainstays in that defensive line to be able to put pressure on, on quarterbacks and. You know, and, and again, it just, just goes to show you that, uh, um, you know, it's t- it's tough in this business um, to play with that many, you know, new faces, so to speak, uh, on, on one side of the ball. And, and uh, it just, um, it, it magnifies itself and, and um, you know, uh, and it happened to us, uh, it happened to us today.
1: It just uh, They have th- 13 different line combinations, their offensive line, which is a mess. Only Jason Kelsey has been the stalwart. He makes the Pro Bowl. But Michael Gallup, I mean, the Gallup poll was pointing up because the Cowboys just torched that secondary. Mike, that secondary is horrific. They spent all that money to get Slay and Roby Coleman. I mean, their safeties are bad.
2: The Eagles are a four-win team,
1: and in a critical spot,
2: they couldn't step up. I think Doug's got to go. Of the worst division in the last fifty years of football, the East, the Eagles were the first team to be eliminated. Even the Giants aren't eliminated yet. The Giants, who have just finished their their fourth consecutive ten loss season, you know, uh, uh, somebody from the Giant organization texted me a while ago saying that I'm just. I've had a grudge against them, you know, and like seriously, you've won you 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 you're 14 and 33 since 2017. Like seriously, what's the grudge? You're no good. Your organizations had 10 losses every year. Like there's no grudge. You're just trying to be objective and report what you what you're seeing. You're seeing a shitty team. And the Eagles the Eagles are 23 26 and 1 since the parade on Broad Street. 23 26 and 1 you know, and yeah, they're moving the football, but I think, you know, I always, after the game, this game particularly, when you looked at it, uh, and I went to Daily News Live to see how many legal pads my man Ray Diddinger was going to go through, and and Michael Barkham went off on his rant, and Barrett Brooks went off on his, and Seth Joyner, and you know, they always complain about that Doug doesn't run the ball, which, you know, for me is the they're really not complaining about that. What I think they're complaining about, and this is the bigger issue, is they do, he never, ever runs a game plan that's conducive to the opponent. He calls plays that beats the coverages, but he never sets up a game plan other than the New Orleans game where he ran for 246. He never sets a game plan up that is conducive to playing complementary football. You know, going into this game, that Slay's playing on a, you know, playing hurt, and that everybody else in the secondary sucks, right? So you you know that you you know, look, you go to Jim Schwartz and say, Jim, look, you know, we can't cover these guys. We got to hold up against. We got to play some cover two. We got to hopefully encourage them to run the football. Try to play a certain style, and I'll try to run this ball. I'll manage this. And I'll try to manage the game in a sense where I won't let them get away from us or have the ball back too much. But that's not the Eagles. You know, the first drive, that was what he did, and he scored. The second drive of the game, he throws a long touchdown pass. Now they're up 14 to three. Everything's going right. I mean, they're already printing Super Bowl tickets here in Philadelphia. Then naturally, once the game starts to evolve, you know, Miles Sanders has his usual 11 touches in the first half running, and then he gets four in the second half in a one-score game, basically. So it's just, to me, the issue is instead of complaining about why doesn't Doug run the ball, it's the question really should be why don't the Eagles play a more complimentary game to their opponent to help their defense out, which is, you you know, it was terrible. And when Fletcher went out, it became even worse. But you knew going in the game that you didn't have Barnett. You knew going in the game you didn't have Sweat. Barnett was a a scratch. Sweat's on IR. So you knew that going in. Just like the Cowboys are playing with two backup tackles. So for me, I think that's the question. And I think that Doug's going to have to address a couple things. How's he going to fix it? And who's going to fix Wins? Because you know Hertz turned the ball over three times yesterday. You know they let them throw the ball. They, they, they've had since Hertz played quarterback. They've had 413 yards, 422 yards, 477 yards. Okay, great. That's that's awesome. You know, but they've lost two or three. You know, they've lost two or three, and they don't play complimentary football to where their team is. Their team's no good. We get that, but it's you've got to play the game to give your team a chance to win, and that's something they never do in Philly. They talk about. We got to stay out of third and long. They're always in third and long. They're one of the worst first down teams in all of football. They're one of the worst first down teams in all of football. I mean, that's that's really, you know, when you break it down, you know, when you break it down, first down is the key, right? When you want to be able to get the defense in a vanilla coverage or get the defense set, the Eagles are the 32nd ranked team in the National Football League in having 8.23 yards or more on second down. Think about that. 8.23. That's what they average on second and. So they're in second and 8 all the time. Their first down planning is a I mean it's a joke. The Jets average 7-8 to go. The Jets are better than them. Think about that, AD. Like that that's game planning. You can fix first down. I mean, Dallas is 7.24, they're the fourth best team. They can get yards on first down. Now maybe they can't get it on third, but first down you can control by what you do. And that's just, to me, that's, I want to call these plays against these coverages. And you're basically playing Madden instead of running a complimentary game.
1: Definitely lots of question marks, lots of problems there for the Eagles. As you said, for the worst division in football, they're the first team eliminated. Now it's either going to be Dallas, Washington, or the Giants. we come back, weekly awards open for the mailbag. All that more coming up here in the GM Shuffle.
0: Gambling problem, call one 800 gambler or in West Virginia. Visit www1800 gamblernet In New York, call 8778 hope and Y or text Hope NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire when 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
2: All right, it's time now for the weekly awards. On the lam, Mike, who we got? Well, there's only one person we could put on the lam. That's Jackie Jr., Dwayne Haskins. He's got to go on the lam. I mean, you know, enough is enough. I mean, how many times are you going to keep tolerating? You're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. I mean... I'm not saying you should call up Vito. For Jackie Jr., but I think you got to send him to Boomtown and you got to get him out of the building. He's got to go.
1: One way or another, he's got to go. The Fred Palermo Award, the best game plan going of the week. You just pointed out that the Peterson and the Eagles game plans are poor. Who do you give props to this
2: week? Well, you got to give it to Dallas. I mean, look, Dallas came in there, they get behind 14 to 3 at home. They had a nice game plan. They attacked the weakness of the Eagles defense, which was their secondary, and Dalton played as well as he could play. Still not a great player in the inside the twenty, but give Dallas all the credit in the world. I mean, they did a nice job. I I I thought, you know, they played the kind of game they had to play to win that game. And uh, the Jets certainly are qualified for this too, because the Jets did exactly what they needed to do in terms of making the Browns play left-handed. So, and same with Carolina. But for me, I think Dallas, you know, everybody, no one had Dallas. I mean, 95% of the money was on Philadelphia. Everybody thought the Eagles were just going to walk into it. And Dallas came through.
1: And if you don't know, now you know.
2: The main takeaway from this week of football. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is the MVP. I mean, I think he won it last night. And I and I think he deserves it. And I think the way they played last night against Tennessee, here's the fallacy about Tennessee. Every time Tennessee plays against a quarterback that can throw the football effectively and, and challenge their poor secondary and their lack of pass rush. Anytime they do that, they become they they have trouble. They can't win those games. They just cannot win those games. And, you know, they played Cleveland, they got behind, right? They played Cleveland, they get behind, they lose. They played Pittsburgh, they got really far behind, they lost. This game last night, you know, they get behind and they lose. And then they make it 20, 19 14 with the with the with his run. And the next thing you know, boom, they're down the field, and it's a 40 to 14 game. So I think Rodgers was unbelievable. You're going to have to go through Green Bay to beat them, and that's going to be a challenge because I thought their defense played really well last night. I thought Gary gives them an edge setter out there, and their corners they can cover a little bit. So I I think Rodgers is the MVP, and right now, the way they played last night, I mean, that was another game. 95% of the money was on Tennessee. Everybody was betting Tennessee in that game. I had a guy tweet me Sunday morning and said, well, you know, I put up my picks, and I was— and 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 I and I could understand why he would say this. He said, "Well, I like the opposite. You 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 have the horrible picks this week." So that's two. I was basically three and one. I had Dallas when I did McAfee's pod. So you know, but but the report, you know, like seriously, like Green Bay is a hard Rodgers makes them hard against a team that has to if they have to throw the ball from drop back they're they're hard to play. Tennessee can Tennessee has to play a style. Cleveland has to play a style. The Bears have to play a style. Rodgers can take a team out of their style.
1: And you talk about style. This guy's 37 years old, I believe. He's going to be, his th- I mean, it could be a three time MVP. Mahomes or Rodgers is going to be the MVP. Mahomes has about 700 more passing yards, but the touchdown interception ratio is better with Rodgers 44 to 4, 11 to 1 touchdown interception ratio. And the passer rating of Rodgers is a little bit better. Matt LaFleur said if they hold Derrick Henry to under 120 yards, they win the game. He didn't even get 100 yards rushing. 98 yards on 23 carries. His streak of nine consecutive road games in which he'd run for at least 100 comes to an end. Uh, By the way, Green Bay, they still have something to play for. To earn the number one seed in the NFC playoffs, they have to win at Chicago or if Seattle loses at San Francisco next week. So the Bears are trying to get in the playoffs. And that's where I want to close with. Joel Sherman, my friend, the great New York Post columnist, he just messaged me. He goes, "I've, I've got to ask Lombardi about this. I'm like, all right. He wants a question about Mitch Trubisky. So he points out how... He goes, the issue gets framed is, do the Bears re-sign him, treat him like a star quarterback at $30 million-ish in a multi-year deal or the franchise tag? But why couldn't the Bears offer him a one-year $15 million to $20 million deal? Are there really going to be teams going to offer more? Why is it franchise tag or $30 million-ish contract or nothing? Wouldn't it be worthwhile for both sides to give each other one more year to see if the marriage works, and for the Bears, if this return period is a mirage? Can Chicago do better than him in the draft or a free agency than seeing if this is real. Can Trubisky do better in the market than a one-year, $20 million-ish deal? I honestly don't know. That's why I'm asking, is there some quarterback desperate team that does not have a top 10 pick that would gamble a Cousins-ish big
2: deal on Trubisky? Your thoughts, Mike, on MVP, Mitch? I mean, seriously, who's going to pay? Anybody who watches tape for a living, anybody whose job is as an executive will acknowledge that Trubisky has played better. But he's also played against some of the worst defenses in all of football in during this resurgence, right? So he's played against Detroit; they lost. He's played against Houston. I mean, we just saw Brandon Allen torch, torch Houston. Do we? You want to pay Brandon Allen twenty million? Right? We just saw him torch Jacksonville. Everybody torches Jacksonville; they got no secondary, right? Minnesota. We just saw Alvin Kamara score six touchdowns against Minnesota. You, you, you want to pay? I mean, there's four games against that. I mean I think what 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 he wrote is is exactly what you should do. You go to you go to MVP Mitch's agent and you say, "Hey, it's a one-year deal. I'll give him 15 million. I'll give him 5 million of incentives. We're going to do this. I cannot promise you we're not going to draft a quarterback. I cannot promise you we're not going to improve the roster. He comes in here, he'll be the starter." But that doesn't mean we're not going to do something else. I'll I'll let him be the starter game one to 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 start the compete to start competition in the summer. But we're gonna constantly improve the roster. If I got to go a little higher, fine. Who is going to pay 20 million and have a press conference for MVP Mitch? Who? I wanna know who. Like Schefter reported that yesterday. And I know Schefter's reports are incredible, but like what executive in the league? Like seriously, what executive in the National Football League is going to come out there and say, "Are the Giants going to dump dump Daniel Jones for that?" No, right? Are the Bengals going to get out of? Uh, are the Bengals going to do it? No, you know? Are the Jaguars going? To, are the Jaguars going to do it? No. Like quarterbacks are like playing musical chairs. There's very. It's obvious who would. Is the Washington Football Team going to pay twenty million? No, of course they're not. You know, like, who is paying this? Like, tell me the team that's going to pay MVP Mitch. Tell me the team, Detroit. They play against them. I mean, Packer fans, Lions fans, Viking fans are hoping the Bears sign them back. Like, who's the competition? The Raiders are going to sign them? I mean, like, tell me who that's going to sign them on a $20 million deal. Do I think Do I think somebody could sign them on a, on a 3 or $4 million deal to be a backup? Yeah, sure, of course. But tell me what team, what team? do You think Bill Belichick's going to sign Mitchell Trubisky? Course, come on,
1: please. Again, I saw somebody saying in the pregame show, saying if the Bears make the playoffs, they could save three jobs. Their GM, Ryan Pace, their head coach, Matt Nagy, and their quarterback, Mitch Trubisky. And I said, that's the worst thing that could happen. If I'm a Bears fan, Mike, I'm cheering against the making the playoffs. So all three of those do not
2: return. It's amazing. And I, I heard Jimmy say that, and he's right. I think all three are back. You know, I mean, look—we know Ryan Pace wants to bring back Trubisky. He wants too badly, and now he has evidence. And of course, no one's going to say, "But Ryan, like they're the worst defenses in all of football." Like, are you sure he's going to do this? If he beats the Pack, if he beats Brees- if he beats the Packers, but here's his, here's his, here's what his agenda could be. He's got to win against Aaron Rodgers, and then next week in a playoff game, he's got to go down and beat Drew Brees and Sean Payton and the Saints. That's what he's looking at. And then let's make the decision after that. We'll see what it goes from there. We'll see where it goes from there. I know it was a quiet
1: <clears throat> Christmas for you and Millie. Unfortunately, uh, without family, obviously everyone's sequestered, hunkered down. I did want to just close. I'll give a full review on Cinephile of the Godfather Coda, the death of Michael Corleone. But my wife and I watched that. And uh, listen, is it better? Absolutely. Coppola definitely tightened things up with the editing. It's not nearly as long. It is a slightly different ending but it's still not very good. It's still obviously a far cry from the first two Godfathers. I mean, as great as Pacino is, the scene where Sofia Coppola gets shot, I mean, that is a great scene from Al, and the way Coppola cuts out the audio and you just see Pacino scream. But seeing for Cop- Coppola, I think he definitely cut down Mike on, on her scenes, but she's still in it way too much. And I agree with you now, watching it again, at the time, I really liked Andy Garcia, but now I agree with you. I think they made it too obvious that he's saw, he saw Sonny's kid. Oh, what a hothead he is. There he goes again, like overacting from him. He's also got an un- unbelievably hairy chest. That first team with Bridget Fonda, he looks like he's wearing a giant sweater. And the guy that I love and would have liked a lot more of is Joe Mantegna. I mean, when he goes bastardo and, and then he and, and, and bites his ear, I wanted more Mantegna and Eli Wallach, you are upset with him eating the cannoli in the opera. He's not a very good villain. Like the Godfather needs a great villain. You watch Godfather 3 and you go, okay, the best moments are actually when Al and Diane Keaton are reminiscing in Italy. You know, the fact that he's fighting all this guilt. He's like King Lear. He's in need of redemption. I love this scene with the priest Races. you know I, I I you know I killed my mother's son I killed my father's son that's a great scene but an actual villain like who the hell's scared of Eli wallet like Don Al Tabello is the big villain it's it's been one of the reasons why it's such a disappointment
2: I I, I think it's always the, the it's been was the casting I I believe that then I don't think the writing was good they overdid it the, the you know the one thing about writing the God you always are going to create new lines just like they did you know just when I thought I was out they bring me back you know that was a new line like we all know Sonny was a hothead you don't have to overplay that you know you don't have to overplay that thing to me i agree with the ad I, I think I think it was better, but it wasn't, wasn't ever. I'm not watching it again. Let me just say that. Yeah, exactly.
1: It was better. It still ain't very good. couple of good lines, though. I like when Johnny Fontaine was singing at the start and Pacino says, I'm going to go listen to my favorite singer Tony Bennett. And when Talia Shire very melodramatically says, Michael, now they'll fear you. He says, maybe they should fear you. <laughs> <laughs> it was a couple of good lines there. All right. Uh, one hour edition of the GM Shuffle. Thanks so much for hanging with us. We're going to give you another edition. New Year's. Eve, all right? Thursday, we'll give you another edition of the GM Shuffle. Uh, Thanks as always for following us, and we'll talk to you next time.